Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. With high wheat prices and no relief to demand in sight, I'm sure a lot of farmers are reconsidering what we considered once poverty grass and adding it back into the rotation this fall. And while I joke about poverty grass, there are a lot of benefits to having wheat in the rotation. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Don't want to get our guest here up in arms and defensive with that comment. But if you haven't grown wheat in a while, or maybe never, um, we want to make sure that you get off to a good start. And wheat has a lot of hurdles when you think about going through um, before you actually harvest it. Because in the fall, we're having you know, wetter falls, so timely planting, fall pests, freeze and thaw in the wintertime, wet springs, being able to get nitrogen on, and then summer diseases. Um, and we can't control Mother Nature. So we have Dr. Laura Lindsay here to provide advice on what we can control. So welcome, Laura. Yeah, thanks for having me. So can you give a quick introduction of yourself? Sure. I'm Laura Lindsay. I'm the soybean and small grain agronomist at Ohio State, so I work on soybeans and wheat both. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Mm -hmm. So, Laura, what are the main benefits of having wheat in your crop rotation? So, there's several benefits. Some are to the environment. So, wheat's a fall planted crop. So, um, in terms of protecting the soil over winter um, to reduce erosion and phosphorus loss through erosion, um, that's very useful to have. It's kind of like a cover crop in the way it's planted in the fall, Uh, but something you can also harvest for money. Um, And then, You know, money, profitability-wise, we do see when wheat is in rotation with corn and soybean, about a five-bushel yield advantage to soybean. Um, So that's a huge side benefit, just having that rotational effect as well. So let's get started with seed selection. Public varieties of wheat used to be a big thing. Um, It's what Norman Borlaug is known for, I think. So in helping solve um, starvation around the world... Is that still the case? Are people using these public varieties or have seed companies developed their own? So there are public varieties available uh, to farmers in Ohio. Um, Part of my program is to run the Ohio Wheat Performance Trial. Uh, And so um, last year we had about three public varieties uh, developed at Ohio State entered. Um, We also had a variety from Michigan State that was entered. Um, And the one from Michigan State was among the highest yielding. Um, it averaged 107 bushels per acre. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some high-yielding public varieties. Um, in terms of breeding programs at universities, though, um, there are public varieties, but also breeders will license um, their, their genetics to companies. Uh, so okay. companies have very good high-yielding varieties, too. Some of those may be developed by the company. Some of them may be developed by public breeders. Uh, but, you know, in terms of variety selection, you know, using the Ohio Wheat Performance Test is a good, good resource. Mm-hmm. With that resource or when we're looking at a seed catalog, what should we really look for in selecting a good variety? So top yielding. Um, and we, in our performance trials and also companies, you know, looking at multiple locations. So our wheat performance test is in five counties in Ohio. So you can look at the five county overall averages mm-hmm. um, to see if it yields well across different environments and locations. Um, so using those, those resources is important. Um, and then also with wheat, uh, we want to look at disease resistance. So with the Ohio Wheat Performance Test, uh, we, we look at um, powdery mildew, leaf blotch, gloom blotch, and fusarium head blight. Good to know. So when it comes time to plant wheat, it, you know, it's definitely a different cycle than corn and soybeans. So what, for folks who aren't familiar, is the best window to plant wheat? 
So really, we recommend farmers planting about two, no later than two weeks after that Hessian fly-free date. So um, the later you go, the less ideal it is. So really that two-week window after the Hessian fly-free date for your county is the most critical time to get wheat planted. Um, for farmers that are maybe new to planting wheat, um, if you can follow it um, after a, maybe a shorter relative maturity soybean variety, that'll help facilitate um, earlier planting. Uh, but we don't want to go too early either because there's negative cons consequences. So really that two-week window after the county date is the sweet spot. So when we look at wet falls, yeah, that's not a big planting window, and it's... <laughs> no, and I say I say the two weeks after the is ideal. You mm -hmm. can plant later. You can plant three or four weeks later. Um, there may be some yield penalties there, um, but there's ways to compensate for that. And a lot depends on the spring, the following spring. Do we have a long grain fill period or short? Um, so that two-week period is a sweet spot, but if you go a little bit later, it's not the end of the world either. And Hessian fly is still a concern? Uh, the fly itself may not be as big of a concern, uh, but in terms of that, that county fly-free date, um, that's really to help um, reduce the chance of um, barley yellow dwarf virus. Okay. Um, so that's, that's important. That's why we want to stick to that fly-free date as much as possible. Do you have a ballpark of when that fly-free date occurs across Ohio? Yeah, so the Ohio Agronomy Guide has a really nice uh, county map. Uh, Ballpark-wise, um, for the northern part of the state, it's you know the end of September, and for the southern part, about the first week of October. Planting window, if we hit it just right versus if we're a few weeks late, what should we think about with our seeding rate? Like, What's the ideal seeding rate, and how should we adjust that depending on when we actually plant? So if you're in that two-week window for after that the Hessian fly-free date, um, seeding rates of 1.2 to 1.6 million seeds per acre should be more than adequate. Um, sometimes we can go extremely low. If the weather is good, we can go really low. But um, to minimize risk, at least you know 1.2 to 1.6 million seeds per acre is, is ideal. Um, as you plant later into the third or fourth week after the Hessian fly-free date, uh, 1.6 to 2 million seeds per acre uh, may be needed. So still looking at fall, what else management-wise needs to occur in the fall? Should we be fertilizing? So that's a great question. Um, so it's good to soil test regularly and have a good soil test program. Um, so you want to maintain pH and P and K values um, based on your soil test levels. Um, in terms of nitrogen, uh, the Ohio Agronomy Guide recommends about 20 to 30 pounds of nitrogen uh, per acre in the fall. Okay. And when should that go on? Like at planting, after it's emerged, does it matter? I, it probably doesn't matter. I think most guys probably put it on at planting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. We hopefully make it through the winter. What's probably the most damaging weather we can have for wheat in the winter? Uh, winter... Concerns would be uh, really cold temperatures with no snow cover. The snow helps insulate. Uh, wheat is pretty darn hardy, um, but you can, if you get those polar vortex conditions with no snow cover, that can be a problem. Uh, heaving can be a problem. So those freeze-thaw cycles, I've seen roots on top of the soil because the soil heaves. Um, so the, that's an issue. Um, one thing that we see almost every year in Ohio in the spring is um, those random warm days in like February, March, where the wheat can grow, mm -hmm. and then you get frost in May. Um, and so those can be concerns as well. So what are the top things as we move into spring that we need to be keeping an eye on? In the spring, uh, it, it's good to see how your um, crop is greening up, what the stand is. So uh, you don't want to do it too early because 
it won't mean anything. Um, but at green up, if you're concerned about uh, low plant stand or low, low plant population or not enough tillers, uh, you can count the number of stems. So we do that a lot in our research. We'll count the number of stems, stems in like a linear foot or row um, just to get an idea of how many stems are there that could eventually bear heads. What's a good number for that then? So that's a good, that's a million dollar question. <laughs> and so uh, we, we're doing a lot of research in this area um, and there can be a lot of um, variabilities. Um, it's extremely ballpark, maybe six tillers and not tiller stems. So this would be main stem or any tiller. So number of stems uh, in a linear foot or row should okay. be okay. Uh, but again, I've seen extreme variability. Um, sometimes we can have very low stand or number of tillers and get really good yields because maybe we have a really nice spring and a long grain fill period. And I've seen cases where you can have a lot of stems and then something bad happened like those late season freezes or maybe high temperatures, drought during grain fill and low yield. So there's a lot of variability because a lot can happen between feek six and harvest. Um, but the core newsletter is a really good resource, so I try to update our recommendations every year as we collect more stem count data. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like soybeans. I mean, you can do stand counts with soybeans, but it doesn't necessarily mean yields yes. good or bad. Yeah, it's really similar to soybeans. You know, with soybeans, if you have a low plant population, you can produce more branches, mm -hmm. and they can compensate for those low, low stands. Uh, wheat is kind of similar. You can have maybe a low plant population, but more tillers or um, better grain fill if the, the weather is good. So yeah, very similar to soybeans. There's a lot of plasticity in the plant. So spring is a really busy time. And so telling yeah. farmers that they have to go out and count stems, maybe <laughs> it's is stressing them out. Uh, it stresses me out. Um, <laughs> and this is only in cases where you think the stand is bad. Like if you're driving by your field and it looks uniform and green and lush, certainly like there's no reason to go count tillers. Um, this would just be the case where, you know, you're, you don't know if your wheat is worth keeping or not. So in the spring, some people may, you know, want to plant corn or soybean instead. Um, so they want to really try to estimate their wheat yield to help make that decision should they tear up the field and plant something else. So under normal circumstances, don't don't count tillers because nobody likes to count tillers. <laughs> but if you feel like you need to, you've done some research yep. with a cool phone app. We have. Canapeo that can help. You don't have to count. You can go out. So can you tell us a little bit more sure. about Canapeo? Yeah, so there's a free app. Um, it's from Oklahoma State University called Canapeo. Um, and we've we've used it to take pictures. We take three rows within the picture frame on a cell phone or iPad. Um, and it converts all of the green pixels to black and white. Uh, so you can actually quantify the green area in a picture. And we can then in turn correlate it to wheat yield. Um, we've done a few years of research there. Uh, one of the issues we had is the years we did it, we yielded really, really, really high. <laughs> so my correlations are, aren't great because um, we didn't have any yield less than 80 bushels per acre. Mm -hmm. um, so we're gonna we're continuing that research now, and so hopefully we'll have some better recommendations. Not better, but when you do research, you want to capture the low end and the high end. So uh, we have some research this year where we should have low yielding wheat. Um, and, and, and be able to use that tool maybe a little bit more effectively. What Laura's saying is if you've got some wheat that you suspect may be low-yielding, call her and she'll come out and take some pictures. I will, I will take some pictures, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so nitrogen recommendations in the spring then. Yeah, so really with nitrogen recommendations in the spring, first of all, timing is important. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people get anxious because spring is such a busy time. They want to go out early and try to get things done. Um, 
But, you know, trying to wait until green up is really important. Um, if you apply nitrogen too early, it can get lost. Uh, so wheat starts taking up nitrogen rapidly at the feek six stage. Uh, so you want to have the nitrogen on before feek six, um, but not any earlier than, than green up. So timing is important. Um, in terms of rate in the spring, uh, we just recommend following the tri-state recommendations. Um, and that's yield-based uh, right now. Mm -hmm. So um, I just looked them up today. So if you are um, thinking you're going to have 90 bushels per acre wheat, um, the nitrogen rate would be 110 pounds of N per acre. Subtract whatever you applied in the fall um, okay. from that. Okay, so is it recommended to do fall nitrogen and spring nitrogen, that split application? Yeah, right now that's what's recommended, yep. Probably one of the most difficult things to manage in wheat, especially since it's main growing time is in a traditionally wet part of the season yeah. in Ohio, is managing pests and diseases. Mm -hmm. For someone trying out wheat, what do you recommend? Yeah, so managing diseases is huge. Um, really, the core newsletter is a really, really good resource. Uh, Dr. Pierce Paul does a great job um, keeping people updated on diseases and disease development potential. Um, so using, using the core newsletter as a tool as the season progresses is really important to know when to spray, what to look for. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, disease control in wheat is extremely important. Yeah, I don't know how many times we've had springs where the wheat looks so good and then all of a sudden we get rain nonstop a couple weeks before harvest and it goes downhill so quickly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. Um, we can link up the SCAB predictor tool. I yeah, think that'd be that's perfect. pretty accurate with your location, looking at what the weather's going to be, and that'll help you make a decision on when you should spray, if mm -hmm. you should spray. Mm -hmm. And in our research, we just wrapped up a high input wheat study looking at sulfur and extra nitrogen and fungicides, um, different components. And the one input that most consistently increased wheat yield or protected wheat yield was the foliar fungicide. So of all the inputs we evaluated, I think that's really the one to keep a very close eye on. Right. So to round this out then, harvest dates, um, talk about, you know, what we need to look for when it's time to harvest, um, what happens if we can't get out there right away, all those considerations. Yeah, harvest becomes really tricky. Um, we've done some harvest date research, um, and it just depends on what the weather's going to do when the best time, which I know is really hard. Um, the biggest thing with wheat is you don't want it to let it dry down and then get rewetted. So having wheat dry down naturally in the field is nice to avoid drying costs, so maybe let it, letting it dry down to 13% moisture. Um, the issue is if you get there and you don't harvest and you get rainfall and that grain gets re-wetted, uh, you can have pre-harvest sprout issues, um, vomitoxin can increase, mm -hmm. you can lose yield, um, you can have lower test weight. So trying to avoid that re-wetting as much as possible, um, and then maybe in some cases that means harvesting at a higher moisture and drying, you'll have to look at costs associated with that. Um, I know some places will take higher moisture wheat, um, so that, that's something to look into as well. But really the important thing is avoiding that re-wetting as much as possible. Okay, so if you get a dry day, it's just a little bit higher than you want to. You should probably harvest, especially if there's rain in the if forecast. If there's rain in the forecast, absolutely, yep. So one of the cool opportunities with wheat is in a lot of the state, you have the opportunity to double crop. Yes. Yeah, a double crop I think is a great opportunity and really one of the benefits for wheat. Really, if you're in central or southern Ohio, 
um, double crop wheat or double crop soybeans after wheat should be no issue. We've done work um, in West Central Ohio and Clark County, and we can plant, you know, the first 10 days into July and have pretty decent yields. Northern Ohio becomes a little trickier. Um, that is if, you know, if you harvest wheat earlier, you can plant double crops. Uh, we've done double crop work in Northwest Ohio. Um, some years I get five bushels per acre for soybean. And like other years, I think we were up to like 20 or 30. Um, mm -hmm. So with the price of soybean, you know, 20 or 30 double crop looks extremely attractive. Mm -hmm. Even if you're up in the northwest part of the state and double cropping doesn't look economically feasible, you still have the opportunity to cover crop on mm -hmm. earlier and get it established mm -hmm. yep. ahead of winter. Yep. Absolutely, cover crops are an option. Um, and also, too, in the northern part of the state, I know some people do relay intercropping where they can plant wheat in 15-inch rows and plant soybeans before wheat harvest so they can get that crop established sooner. So that's an, an additional um, opportunity. More management, though, <laughs> if you yeah. have two crops growing at the same time, but another opportunity. Yeah, but really good return on investment, too, with that because you get such a good soybean yield afterwards. Right. It's kind of amazing to see those numbers. Right. Right, Laura. Well, thank you so much for joining us to talk about wheat. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the markets do and how many acres go in this mm -hmm. fall. Good luck to everyone. And if they want to follow up with some resources, follow you on social media, what are some good links to share with them? Yeah, I mean, first of all, the core newsletter is really great. Um, I don't try to write as well as many articles as I can that are relevant. Uh, so the core newsletter would be the first one. Um, my Twitter handle is at StepUpSoy. Uh, my website is stepupsoy.osu.edu. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining yep. us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode. Hey, podcast listeners. Just a reminder to give us a like or subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave us a review also. We appreciate the comments.